uh, Lorraine, if we could have Exodus 3 in the NIV on the screen, that would be awesome. So funny, funny story. I, just, I gave permission this morning for Sean to put the word not in all caps uh, when he texts me something when it's in the negative. And I will not take offense because, um, A, we're, 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 we're all working on being unoffendable. But B, uh, I was on holidays uh, this past week with our eldest son and his wife in a cabin near Vernon and looked quickly at my phone. We had really bad reception. And so looked quickly at my phone and Sean had said to me before, I have a message brewing. And I understood that he said, I will be ready for this Sunday. And I thought, cool beans, the guy's going to preach at his own ordination, right? That's gutsy. And so... uh, and so then, so I when I got back yesterday and said, uh, so you guys good for tomorrow? And they're like, for the ordination, sure. And I said, and the message? And they're like, we didn't say we do the message. <laughs> so, so that's why we have a, we'll have this agreement now where you put not in all caps so that um, I, I will catch that and not uh, be scrambling everybody at the last minute. So um, this is, Hello? Exodus 3? Yeah. NIV is great. Thank you. So um, we, are, we are thrilled to be welcoming Sean and Teresa onto the team. So this fellowship uh, under the Christian Ministers Association, we have directors. So Richard is a director, Bruce is a director, I'm a director, and um, Brian West is a director. And um, and Lorraine is our is also uh, the secretary treasurer and is on that team as well. And um, and, and in CMA, um, and I, I'll say CMA because we've had a little bit. Of, there's lots of CMAs. There's Country Music Association and Christian Motorcycle Association. Lots of funny stories about that. But um, we part of what um, CMA does is recognize people who are already in ministry. So, uh, for instance, if, if Sean wanted or Teresa wanted to be ordained but needed to go back to seminary for several years and many tens of thousands of dollars, um, that isn't actually how it worked with the disciples, but that they are already ministering. And so in, in our fellowship, we believe that leadership presents itself, leadership we have had the blessing of leadership rising up from amongst us. And then we recognize that, and actually God appoints leaders. And so I, I just want to look at, it's maybe an unusual passage for this kind of, of meeting, but um, I, the Lord put on my heart to read um, Exodus 3, and we're, we will have it here shortly. God appoints, and it's interesting to read the things that God appoints, he actually, the, the word starts with God appointing things when he creates, and he appoints the sun and the moon and the stars, for example. And when he creates something and makes it as king, it is his, and it is, he, he made it and it obeys him. So the sun, moon, and stars were put in place. They were appointed for their duties. And so um, people were appointed as priests in the Old Testament, starting with Aaron, and um, and uh, and and um, God appointed uh, spiritual leaders over the people. Interestingly, 
Moses at one point when the people were complaining, and I'm just waiting, oh, there we go. When the people were complaining and grumbling against Moses, Moses, God said, the burden is too much for you. I will take some of your spirit and I will put it on 70 elders. Do you remember this? And not all of the 70 who were chosen went to, I can't remember if it was a tent of meeting. Some of them were still in the camp, but the spirit of God fell on them all. And the guys who were in the camp started to prophesy. And Joshua got a bit bent out of shape, and he said, Oh, those guys are prophesying. You need to stop them, Mo. And Moses said, Are you jealous for my sake? It's interesting, huh? Such a humble guy. He says, Are you jealous for my sake? I, I wish that all people would be prophets and would be filled with the Spirit of God, which was a prophetic thing to say because the Spirit of God was going to be given out to all who believed and were born again by the Spirit of God. So we are all priests and ministers, and we are, Peter says, we are a kingdom of priests, but God raises up people to help lead the flock. So interestingly, Moses, like David, <laughs> after him, um, is, is shepherding. So Moses has gone from the prince of Egypt to tending um, his father-in-law's flock. So he's gone from the top of the pile literally to a very humble place in Midian. Um, so now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. So most scholars believe that the angel of the Lord is Christ, pre-incarnate. He wasn't yet made flesh and came down for his ministry on the earth, but that the angel of the Lord will speak in the first person, saying, the, I, the Lord, say. So this, this is probably Jesus, uh, pre-incarnate in the form of the angel of the Lord, appearing to him in a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. A rather attention-getting little incident there. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abram, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. It's interesting that we say, Lord, open the eyes of my heart that I might see you, right? But we're opening the eyes of our heart that we could see in the Spirit of God to perceive the presence of God. And the Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them, from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land, that land and into a, land, a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, all the ites. And now the cry of the Israel, uh, Israel, Israelites has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. <laughs> Sounds familiar? I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring 
my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. I am I think we're just going to, we'll end at uh, that verse. If we can go back to the beginning of the chapter, Lorraine. I think this is a, such a, a fascinating passage because there's, there's so many things that um, are paralleled with other, other leaders in the scriptures, um, but that they can apply to each of us and our relationship with Christ. So Moses is um, tending a flock, and God gets his attention. I don't know how many of you were brought into the kingdom by some incredible thing that God did, or if it was a slow journey. I think I've I've shared my testimony enough that you know mine was my mom being healed from being completely bedridden and, and plagued by seizures and not having a life, not being able to drive or work or do anything, and seeing my mom healed in an instant, like in an instant, from bedridden to full-on healed. And sometimes God will do that to get our attention to say, hey, worldview shift here. You didn't think there was a God, but there is a God, and he loves you, and he knows your name. And so here is this, the angel of the Lord coming and doing this, this thing that only God can do, Because God wants us to know he's not like us. And I think it's really cool when we experience those. Not everybody does, but that we can read about them in the word and to know that God does things no one else does. He's God. He's God. And we need to remember that. And so I I love that God sort of makes this statement about himself and says, this looks hard, right? It's not, it's not hard for me. Nothing is too difficult for me. I, I am so thankful when God is beyond my comprehension, which is all the time, right? But that, that I can see something that says, we couldn't arrange this in a thousand years, not in a million years. We cannot come up with this. And God does something, whether it's just orchestrating you know, that you meet somebody that you get to pray for, and you go, wow, that was so cool, right, that I got to meet this person at just the right time, and God is orchestrating. And so God sets up this standard that says, I, and he's going to say, my name is I am, right, the eternal, the past, the present, the future, the one outside of time. But he says, Moses, come closer, and I'm going to get your attention here. 
And so Moses knows he's dealing with an unusual person at the very least, right? And so he goes over to see the phenomenon of the bush. What does God say to Moses first? He calls him by name. Do you remember any other instances in scripture where someone has their name called, first encounters? Samuel. Samuel, Samuel, what is it, Eli? Go back to bed. You know, they're a little slow on the draw. Hadn't heard the voice of the Lord. And God says, Moses, I know you. I'm the one who got you saved and put in the little basket and raised in Pharaoh's palace. I know you. And I call you by name. And he says that to some of the prophets. I called you by name before you were born. In the womb, I knew you. I saw you. And, and this for all of us, whether you're standing as a, as an, a sort of an official recognized clergy or not, this is the starting point, is that I am known and I can know that God is knowable. You know, we worked amongst people whose religion had an unknowable God, you could not know him, and you were very afraid of him and measuring up all the time. But here is a knowable God that says, hey, Richard, hey, Steve, hey, Janice, I know you, I see you, I love you, I know everything about you. And you are going to fall into my plans and purposes here in an incredible way. So Moses answers, here I am. Always a good response, right? Here I am. And then the Lord uh, tells him to take off his sandals for the place where he is standing is holy ground. Gordon and I experienced this in, in a particular way once when a young man who was in our village saw angels around our mud huts. And we were working in Africa as Bible translators, learning the, this unwritten language, and this guy just came in, and he saw in the spirit, as a, a, a lot more people do in undeveloped nations that don't think as scientifically as we tend to, don't look for scientific reasons for everything. And he said, who are these guys all around your huts with long white boo-boos that go off into space? And we're like, what? <laughs> and it was like, literally, we took off our flip-flops, and we sat down with him, and um, he said, they're, they're only here around your house, nowhere else in the village. And they're even here, like, protecting your place when you're not here. And, um, and we asked him, are they good or are they evil? And he said, no, they're good. And then we were able to share the gospel with him in French at the time because there were no scriptures in his language yet. God is uh, wanting to reveal himself. I just this morning read near the end of Isaiah where God says, I was longing to answer your prayers, but nobody prayed to me. And it just crushed me. I just thought, oh, there's God going, who's praying? Who, who can I bless? What prayer can I answer? And he says, I heard the cries of my people. They're crying out to me, and I am going to act. But guess who's going, Moses? You. You're going because you're my hands and feet. You're the body that I'm going to send. So God sees, God answers, and God raises up someone to go and act on his behalf and to bring deliverance and salvation. So Moses um, is, is made aware of his inadequacies, but God's superabundant provision. 
it's interesting that God identifies himself as the God of the patriarchs. He doesn't say, I'm God that created everything you can see. He doesn't say, I'm, I'm, I'm the God who's king over everything. He identifies himself as in relationship. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, those guys have some colorful stories, don't they? Abraham, you know, afraid of somebody uh, taking his wife, lying about his wife, Jacob doing the same thing, Isaac scheming and lying, and there's lots of stuff that went on in those guys' lives. They were not the, the models of perfection, and yet that's who God identifies with. Isn't that a little bit reassuring to you? It's very reassuring to me. It's like we sang this morning about the rock and the foundation of our faith because Peter spoke those words, you are the Christ, by revelation. That's the truth upon which the gospel is built. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. The Holy Spirit told him that. And then, you know, a couple paragraphs later, who knows how much time passed, Jesus saying to him, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, adversary. You're standing in the way of God's purposes. And yet Peter becomes one of the pillars in the New Testament church. We're in a good crowd. <laughs> don't ever disqualify yourself because you don't think you measure up. God is a God of relationship. God chose to have a family. God chose to reach down to a fallen world that is in, made in his image and restore the image after the marring of sin. That is good news. That is such good news. He is a God of relationship. As we talked about when we were looking at 1 John, relationship with one another is relationship with him. We can't disdain a brother or sister and not have that affect Jesus. It's Jesus. When Paul was persecuting the body, he said, Jesus said to Paul, why are you persecuting me? So God is a God of relationship, and he wants us to be one with him. And when we are one with him and walking in the spirit of God, we will be one with one another. That doesn't mean we're going to agree. Bruce, do we always agree? <laughs> right? Do you always agree with your spouse or, you know, your best friend? But we can agree to disagree on things that are not uh, about salvation and and that we can walk together, and it's actually a richer walk because, because we're learning to be unoffendable, and we're learning to be strengthened together, and we're learning to manifest the glory of God in different ways because we're different people. But God loves people. Abraham has questions, and I love this because his questions are genuine. He understands he doesn't have the, the, what he needs, at least in, in, in his thinking, in his mind right now. He doesn't have what he needs to do this job. And it's just a very honest assessment. It's not a, how are you going to do this, God? It's more of, how am I going to do this? Because we see, you know, with Zechariah and Mary, the mother of the Lord, there's different ways. God sees our hearts, what we're really thinking. But Moses says... Um, I'm, I'm not sure how this is going to play out. Tell me more. And it actually leads to further revelation of who the Father is. And I love that. I love that God is not threatened by anything. And he's not threatened by our honest questions and our honest just coming before him and saying, 
I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. And I'm going to tell you, leaders feel like this more than most people. I got nothing. God, I need wisdom like Solomon. Lord, I can't carry the burden of this people. It's your church. It's your church, Jesus. What are you going to do about this? It's your church. And so don't ever feel, Sean and Teresa, you know, these guys still work full time. And they're leading in the church. That's, that's a lot. Sean worked 55 hours this past week. I'm just saying, we need to pray for our leaders. And we need to just support them. And leaders, as leaders, we can just say, God, how are you going to do this? Because oftentimes we just look at one another and go, ah, haven't been down this road before. Isn't human nature wonderful? So glad, God, you're bigger than our idiosyncrasies. God rescues, but I go. God says, I'm going to come down and I'm going to set people free. Does it just move your heart when he says, he looks at Israel in slavery in Egypt and says, I want to see them set free? I mean, when you go down the street and you see people and you just think, oh, God, like you interact with people and just go, Life is so hard for some people outside of Christ, even some in Christ. Their lives are so convoluted and confused, and you just want to see them set free, right? Set free into abundance and peace and grace, and that they could walk in that knowledge that God's in control. I'm not in the driver's seat. He is. It makes such a world of difference. And so the heart of the Father says, I see my people suffering, and it's time. It's time. And so he is going to rescue, but Moses has to say yes to the going, right? And it's the same thing with us. We're told to come to him. Now, thankfully, we don't hear the, the rest of that statement that the father said to Moses, don't come any closer. Hebrews tells us we can run with confidence into the presence of God because of our high priest who has made a way for us through the blood. We can come closer. In fact, that's what he's saying all the time. Come closer. The way has been made. Come and sit with me and abide with me and know oneness with me. And then he says, I will go with you in answer to the question, Basically, how will I do this? I will be with you. And Jesus says, I am with you. Ongoing, present, continuous. I am with you even to the end of the age. So for Sean and for Teresa and for all of us, I say yes to the going, whatever that looks like. But he goes with me, right? The shepherd in the east goes first and the sheep follow. And call, he calls them by name right? It's such a beautiful picture, and Moses would get this at a deep, deep level because he's a shepherd. Sometimes our calling or our appointments or our, um, our what God is, is saying to us to do or to go to do is affirmed by signs, and in this case, Moses will know that it's, it's all happened when they go and worship on Mount Horeb again. And sometimes, God, because he knows we are weak, and he likes to give us confirmations, right? Who doesn't like confirmation? 